Welcome back to Global LPG Conversations, our podcast series that covers developments and drivers in the global LPG and NGL market. My name is David Upton. I'm joined by James Gooder, our VP for Africa across oil products. And James has spent uh, a lot of time talking to the African LPG sector, um, working out how um, LPG is and should be priced in Africa in particular. Um, and uh, we're going to have a chat about some developments on that slide. But before we get to the pricing, James, if I see how you're doing. Hi, good to be with you. Excellent. Um, so before, before we get to the pricing, um, I just want to ask a more general question around your impressions of the opportunity for LPG market development in Africa across the decade or so you've spent traveling around the region and what you see also as the challenges there. Well, it's a good question. I mean, over that time, uh, we've really seen the market develop a lot. I mean, when I started going down to Africa, as you say, about a decade ago, um, I mean, then as now, it's really a tale of two Africas, where in the north, there is pretty mature, uh, large per capita um, consumption of LPG and, of course, production right on the doorstep in Algeria and so on. Morocco is a big market up there, but these are mature markets and they follow the med pricing and so on. But in sub-Saharan Africa, it's really a story of growth. Um, Ghana has kind of led the way and they've been uh, steadily growing over that time. And now Nigeria is really catching up very quickly. And there's a lot of efforts in East Africa and South Africa to make the most of uh, LPG, which has become so abundant, of course, since there's a lot of production in Africa, Nigeria and increasing amounts from Angola. Um, but also relatively um, relatively competitively priced imports, particularly since the shale revolution opened up so much excess supply in the United States, and that's flown flowed into all markets, including in Africa. But the challenge remains, I mean, the, the growth is there, the potential is there, uh, and it remains to be fully unlocked. But the challenge, as ever in Africa, is to do with infrastructure and, and logistics and getting um, products away from the coastal areas and into those hinterlands and uh, there's still a lot of work to be done on roads and rail and pipeline and uh, and storage and just connecting all the dots so that lpg can get away from the big cities into the more kind of rural areas where a lot of heating a lot of cooking rather is still done with uh, is still done with charcoal and firewood and so on and those are the kind of environmental and public health um issues that uh, LPG can do a lot to to alleviate. Right, right. And so it's a, it's your impression that LPG is actually more of an urban fuel still in sub-Saharan Africa at this point? At this point, at this point, though there's still a lot of growth in the in the large urban areas to to do. Uh, a lot of kerosene is still used and um, various other things. So, um, but there's huge unlocked potential, particularly in, in, the, inter, in the hinterlands. Yeah, sure. And I think it's worth contrasting with Asia at this point, how we've seen a number of Asian countries take um, a subsidy approach with the government mm. either paying directly for the LPG um, to various either state oil entities or, or private companies or having some kind of reimbursement system for consumers. And we've seen enormous growth in some of those countries. And I think, well, basically, the five biggest imports of LPG in the world are Asia. And if you take Indonesia and India in particular, which are big users on the residential sector, then I think we can draw that that contrast. That doesn't seem to be a road 
that African countries are going down. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I mean, there are programs and lots of discussions about how can we uh, how can we ease the transition to to this you know uh, cleaner, more abundant uh, fuel, and a lot of that is about um, making sure that people can get access to safe uh, canisters and uh, and the whole infrastructure around exchanging those and maintaining those. Uh, there is still a perception in some parts of uh, Africa that LPG is a dangerous fuel because of some notorious incidents at filling stations and so on. So there's that. Uh, and as you say, the governments have not gone down these subsidy routes. They have in some other fuels. I mean, the Nigerian subsidy for gasoline, for example, is absolutely massive and, and ruinous in some ways. So there's a hesitation to go down that road with LPG. Um, but there is a move towards more uh, market reflective pricing so that any indigenous production is priced at a fair level and competitive with uh, imports from other places so that the market is starting to kind of um, uh, put a level at which uh, at, at which it's not only uh, you know affordable for consumers but also uh, a, a good a good bet for for the market. Right, and that really brings us nicely to our key topic today, which is import parity pricing in Africa. And um, you worked uh, in, in several countries on this topic. Um, if we just start in South Africa, um, could you just elaborate a little bit on what has happened in the past year or so and how things have changed and then why, or why that's good and what, for the market or what the challenges will be with that going forward? Sure, sure. Well, I mean, for a long time, um, uh, LPG has been treated um, in Africa, as in South Africa in particular, as a kind of um, a byproduct or something that's essentially uh, blended into the gasoline pool. So until summer uh, last year, 2020, um, the, the official price, South Africa has a range of what is called basic fuel prices. These are government-set monthly prices uh, that provide a cap on what uh, retailers can charge. This was set for LPG specifically um, as uh, a kind of linked to the gasoline price. So imported gasoline uh, had a price and LPG was linked to that. So it didn't really matter where it came from or the fact that it was a different market entirely used for different things. Um, and this gave a lot of perverse uh, disincentives to people to buy it for one thing and for importers to import it for another, depending on how the gasoline and LPG markets were behaving relative to one another. So after many years of consultation um, and uh, things do move slowly until they change, um, we uh, saw a, a change in the, in the law in South Africa so that now that LPG is priced with reference to LPG markets, which obviously makes more sense. So the, the new formula moving away from gasoline linkage was put in place last summer, as I say, last Northern Hemisphere summer, it was their winter, um, was to link uh, LPG to the Saudi contract price, which is obviously is a monthly uh, posted price, along with a freight adjustment from Ras Tanura in Saudi Arabia to Richards Bay, in South Africa, that's the large, or currently the largest uh, import terminal for LPG in the country of South Africa. It's on the Indian Ocean side, um, and 
our company, Argus uh, Media, provides uh, a calculation of that freight rate, a version of which is used in that uh, import parity formula, along with various other costs um, and adjustments. So essentially now what we have is uh, a Middle East price plus freight to South Africa, and that is the kind of core of the imports parity principle, which other markets have been using uh, and are gradually more of them are using uh, in order to work out what is the competition, what's the marginal ton of LPG that uh, indigenous producers, because of course South Africa has its own refineries that produce LPG, uh, what do they need to be charging in order to be uh, competitive with the import market? Right. And then, so just to briefly recap, what what is the, the key benefit of doing it this way instead of having some kind of formulation based on local pricing of other products? Well, the, the most important thing is to link it to the real the real world of LPG. As we know, as listeners to this podcast will know, LPG is a global market. It moves from here to there. There's huge demand in Asia. There's a significant exports from the US. Uh, and um, Africa is in the middle of that flow and uh, well-placed not only to sell into that market, excess supply from Nigeria, Angola, and so on, but also to to suck in those cargoes as they're passing around uh, the Cape. So if you think about that, if you had some kind of price link or price formula that wasn't an incentive for people to sell into Africa or to buy out of Africa, then uh, that's, that supply would bypass it entirely and uh, it simply wouldn't uh, make landfall. So if you can harmonize the domestic and international markets through a formula like this, an import parity formula, then it makes the market a lot more dynamic. And it means that uh, both indigenous producers and global importers uh, have an incentive to, to look at that market and to help it develop. Right, right. And I guess uh, from month to month, it means you may pick up cargoes, but in the longer term, it means that there is also an incentive in, in principle for, for people to invest in everything from terminals to, to cylinders because they will have some better surety of what they are doing is going to be connected to the origin of where these molecules are coming from. Precisely, precisely that. And then just moving to, to West Africa, we also have a West Africa index uh, and uh, this runs on a similar principle, but the position of West Africa means it does function slightly differently. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Well, um, as I said, the South Africa import parity uh, formula is a government formula and the, the South African Department of Energy has chosen to use the Middle East, uh, Saudi specifically as the source. Now, the truth is, in today's market, uh, much of that supply, as you know, goes to Asia, doesn't come to Africa. Uh, and increasingly, the United States uh, and Europe are supplying these markets. Uh, and that's even more the case in West Africa, obviously, for geographical proximity reasons. So um, from, for several years, since 2011, actually, Ghana has been using the Argus SIF ARA Northwest Europe price as the basis of its own import parity um, formula, which sets a cap at which uh, domestic um, sellers can can um, can put the price and then in Nigeria just along the coast uh, in the Gulf of Guinea you also have um, significant supply coming in from Europe and also from the United States so the formula that we've come up with is a kind of most competitive of those two sources um, which is a basically if you take the price of the US Gulf Coast add freight to Lagos, 
And then if you take the price in Northwest Europe and add freight to Lagos, Nigeria, the cheaper of those two calculations sets our daily index. So on some days it may be set by Europe, other days by the United States. The principle there again is that the most competitive imports should set a price at which domestic sellers can um, can uh, can be competitive. And so that's the that's the principle behind that. Right. Okay. So yeah, this is basically uh, I guess kind of like a constructed version of how delivered prices work in any competitive market where. Mm-hmm. Wherever the there is a slightly longer situation and the prices are lower, it would have an advantage to bring in products to, to the given region. Just like we see, for example, into the Far East, into um, into Japan, with U.S. supply competing with with um, Middle East supply and, and from elsewhere. Great. Okay. And then uh, finally, um, on on East Africa, I think that the East African market is a bit less mature in terms of of imports up to now. I think the volumes. Are lower. I believe Kenya is uh, consuming something like 150,000 tons, uh, which is um, growing significantly each year. Um, but we haven't seen quite the same movements uh, in terms of uh, either the pricing structure or indeed in terms of capping sellers' retail prices. Um, is that the situation across East Africa? And what do you think is uh, likely to happen going forward there? Yeah, that, that's pretty much the situation. I mean, just for context there, you talked about the size of the Kenyan market, which is the largest regional market over there. Um, Tanzania is also growing pretty quickly, uh, but from a very low base. And compared with that, we have a market in Nigeria, which obviously is a larger population, but that's about a million uh, tons a year. So uh, several times larger um, before we even get into autogas, which is a large uh, potential market over there in the West. In East Africa, um, of course, it, it is right, uh, you know, in relative terms, it's right on the doorstep of the Middle East. Um, so there is significant supply right there and available, though we do still see cargoes coming all the way around from the United States and into East Africa. Uh, it's not a question of shortage of supply. Um, it's more a question of, again, the logistics. I mean, to, to Kenya, Tanzania, of course, are on the coast, but if you wanted to get supply up into places like Uganda, the infrastructure is still developing to make that happen. Um, and again, uh, the market there, uh, people in terms of what they're using, especially outside of the large uh, urban areas, they're very used to kind of gathering firewood and, and using charcoal and those kinds of things. So there is still some uh, kind of preparatory market work that needs to be done to 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 make people uh, see the benefit of using LPG. And again, if a novel fuel um, is only good if you can if you can get your cast canister filled easily and uh, cheaply on a, on an ongoing basis. So people have been known to to try it once, say, oh, that was good, and then the canister runs out and they go out to collect some firewood. So that's kind of the situation. We need to see more investment in infrastructure. Pricing-wise, it's also still linked into the CP in Saudi Arabia. So um, that's, yeah. you know, you have the proximity factor there, but it doesn't always reflect the imported supply. Right, right. Okay. So, yeah, indeed, very much a market where there's a lot of uh, room for growth, a lot of opportunity, but also a lot of work to be done. Great. Thanks very much your time today James we'll, we'll wrap this uh, episode up um, my name is David Afton August Singapore and on behalf of James Gooder goodbye thanks everybody and we'll see you in the next episode cheers